All right, well, hello and welcome back to another uh, episode of This Bleeding Breath. Uh, today, uh, I'm here again with uh, Pastor Randy and Pastor Edwin, um, and we are moving on to the second point uh, in the Doctrines of Grace, and this one, I think, is probably um, the most controversial one, though I'm not sure that it should be. Um, and uh, if it's not the most controversial one, it is definitely the one that is most um, recognizable within the doctrines of grace and um, what people would consider the the reformed um, ideology of of uh, the doctrines of grace. And so, um, so what I wanted to do first. Um, before we even get started, is kind of lay a foundation with Scripture. Um, and so I want to give, I want to just read these Scriptures to us, and you guys feel free to comment uh, on them uh, after I'm finished, but um, I think we need this foundation as we move forward. So um, the first one is uh, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 4 through 5. It says this, Even as He chose us in Him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. <coughs> the next one I have is in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. It says, For those whom He foreknew, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And then one that I'm fairly certain that you guys will hit um, is Romans 9. Uh, so I'm going to leave that one, um, actually, and just read in Acts um, chapter 13. Uh, it says this, for so, uh, sorry, it's verse 47. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the words of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And so I, I want to give that foundation um, because I wanted to make it clear um, that uh, whatever your view on predestination may be, um, it is in the Scriptures. And so I remember being, uh, I think I was a sophomore in Bible college and sitting in my Theology 1 class, and the professor um, asked, asked us, um, raise your hand if you believe in predestination. And, um, and so, you know, half the class raised their hand and the other half um, didn't. And he, he went on to explain that whether, however you define it, is, is um, irrelevant to the fact that the scriptures say it. And so, um, to get started tonight, I just want to read a quote from uh, R.C. Sproul's book, Chosen by God. Um, where he talks about this. This is what he says. If we are to be biblical, then the issues is not whether we should have uh, a doctrine of predestination or not, but what kind of doctrine should we embrace. If the Bible is the Word of God and not mere human speculation, and if God himself declares that there is such a thing as predestination, then it follows uh, irresistibly that we must embrace some doctrine of predestination if we are to follow this line of thinking then of course we must be we must go one step further it is not enough to have just any view of predestination 
It is our duty to seek the correct view of predestination, lest we be guilty of dis, uh, distorting or ignoring the Word of God. Here is where the real struggle begins, the struggle to sort out accurately all that the Bible teaches about this matter. And so I read those scriptures and I read that quote because I think it's important that we understand that, um, that this is a very um, clear teaching in the scriptures. And so the way in which we define it, I think, is important. And so what I want to do tonight, um, as best we can in a limited amount of time, is to um, discuss what is our view of predestination and what is it that we feel that the scripture teaches. And um, I'll go ahead and say this on the onset that, that um, we will probably be using the terms predestination and unconditional election uh, kind of interchangeably, though I don't think that they necessarily are. It's just kind of a habit that I think um, we get into. Uh, I would define it this way. Predestination is more of a broad category, but unconditional election, I would say, is the view that the, at least the three of us hold um, hold to, and that is sort of the one that is defined in uh, the doctrines of grace. So with that introduction out of the way, um, I again, want to welcome in uh, Brother Randy and Brother Edwin for another lively uh, discussion <laughs> about uh, tonight, the second point of the doctrines of grace, which is unconditional election. How you guys doing? Good, Good. man. Thanks Good. for having us. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, so I have some questions that I want to go through, but um, is there anything y'all want to say before we get to the questions on this topic? Just jump right into the questions. I want to say this. You know, there, there's a lot of people whom I have a great deal of respect for who probably wouldn't see eye to eye with us on, on this. And um, while we may differ in how we see something, um, I want them to know that we all approach this with a great deal of humility and, um, and respect. Um, and so... Hopefully th these aren't discouraging words for other people, but more encouraging words of our faithfulness to Scripture. Amen. So, definitely. Now, I would just, I, I'm 100% on board with what Edwin just said there. I mean, um, yeah. you know, wh whether you're uh, preaching in the pulpit or you're teaching a small group class, um, you know, you can't preach nor can you teach without a level of conviction. Yeah. <clears throat> and when when I, I'll speak for host staff here when we're doing any of those things we don't waver on things now if we come to something we're like well I don't I'm not really sure what this means we say that yeah. <laughs> and we're okay with that <laughs> yeah um, <clears throat> but you you know you cannot uh, you you can't expect boldness with fear yeah and so the downside of that is, is that it could be interpreted as very brash, very harsh for some people. And, you know, it can come across as, well, if you're not on this page and we're not with you. And <clears throat> I think I don't I, I, I can't imagine a scenario where any of us and I, and, and I include our entire staff and our leadership here have that view hmm. with unconditional election. Right. Um, we understand how difficult of a topic it is, 
But this is this is why I love our staff, and this is why I love our church and our whole method of teaching the whole counsel of God. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we don't run from these things. It'd be a lot easier for us uh, this coming Sunday for our Sunday school classes to be talking about some world event, and then our Sunday morning to be talking about something that happened to me this week, some funny story. Um, and and they, those things will sometimes mesh within, yeah. but that's that's not our goal. Like we like okay, what's God's word say? <laughs> oh my goodness, this is where we're at today, you yeah. know. And it's you, we dive into it and we talk about it and we talk about it without fear. Yeah. And and we talk about it with confidence. Well, one thing I would also say that we have to be clear on is that all Bible believing Christians believe in predestination. You have to, right? It's, it's right. written in it's, the pages it's, of Scripture. It's too clear in Scripture to mm-hmm. leave that out. We also all can agree on the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. Um, how we see those things interacting, how we see those working mm-hmm. may be a little bit different, right? but we have to have those views Amen. as a base yeah. point. Amen. Yeah. So I think that makes the conversation easier from that point forward, knowing that while we may differ on what we think of predestination, we all believe in predestination. Yeah, that's not we're not we're not going to waver on that. Um, so, um, yeah. with those things in mind, yeah, um, and that's a great segue into our first question. Um, and look, this is not comprehensive by any means, but um, I I sent you guys the questions and I said, you know, kind of give us a an idea of what have been the major views um, on the subject of predestination throughout church history. And look, we're really hitting the high points here. We only mm-hmm. we try to keep this to 45 minutes to an hour. So um, there is a lot of study that needs to be done beyond just this podcast. But um, so so the first one is um, what we would call the Pelagian um, heresy, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and this goes back a little bit to our previous episode because we were mostly talking about what Pelagius talked about um, in Original Sin. Um, essentially, what, from my understanding, and you guys can, can you know, um, certainly add on to this, but what, Pelagian, uh, or what Pelagius said was that, that man, uh, the man's natural state is, is in essence good, and that they have um, humanity has complete free will to to choose God, or or to not choose God. Um, is that is that y'all's understanding of, of basically what he what he believed? Yeah, I mean that's you know again this is more in that total depravity <clears throat> and original sin conversation. Um, but yeah, and it's this is why we see that as heresy. Right. Um, because it's not consistent um, with our view of Scripture. And when I say we, uh, I mean, it's not just the three of us. Right. This is, this is you know, pretty well documented with uh, historical Baptist uh, uh, principles, and uh, not only Baptists, but even within the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. for that matter. Uh, yeah. They change their rules all the time, but, I mean, historically, yeah. it's not... It's that's that was that was rejected at a very early yeah. site, and it's really never been received again by anyone of uh, a mainstream or even a fundamental viewpoint. Right. And so, as far as that you know, kind of pertains to um, you know predestination or 
you know, unconditional election in this case. Um, you know, I, I think that that from that viewpoint, you would say that man essentially has the choice um, of whether or not they can choose to they can choose God or they or they could not choose God. The choice is ultimately. Uh, theirs. Yeah, and I, I think that Pelagian, and people have to go into that because we don't have time to go into Pelagianism here for a long time, but it's a lot deeper than that. Oh, yeah. um, but that's <laughs> that's the basis of it. Um, and, you know, some people may be sitting here listening and they may be thinking, well, you know, it's not too different than what I believe, but I, I have a feeling that if they dive in deeper right. to that, they're going to find major differences mm-hmm. in what they're thinking yeah. and what Pelagius actually said. Yeah. And um, I would just refer people back to to the previous episode. Right, right. We go much deeper into, you know, sort of that thought process and and why that's unbiblical. Amen. Um, And so then the second one is one that, you know, it it sort of um, is more mainstream. I think more people would probably identify with this um, than others, but uh, it's it's known, I think, mostly as semi-Pelagianism. And this is really sort of the Catholic view of uh, really original sin and playing into unconditional election. Um, and, and the way that I define it, and you guys may define it better than me, I hope that you will, um, is that uh, it is ultimately man's choice, um, but God assists in it. That man is, is depraved in such a way that God, it's necessary for God to assist, but um, it's ultimately man's choice. Um, is that where you guys would, would land on, on that? semi-Pelagianism view of predestination or would you define yeah, it? Yeah, that's, that's, I think that, I think that kind of defines the semi-Pelagian uh, viewpoint. Um, Again, it's hard because it's more of an original sin argument, right? But it, it plays into this as well. Um, yeah. So, anything you want to add on that front? No. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to, def, to, to be so quick about these. And then, um, I guess, and there's probably people in that semi-Pelagian camp that are all over the place too. I mean, I, w- I would yeah, say I'm that. Sure, it's a spectrum. It's a spectrum. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And where, we do where, 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 and so to counter that, whereas in the reform group, which is where I put myself, right. um, it's it's not nearly as wide. Yeah, it's much more defined. Exactly. And, you and basically have, well, yeah, two viewpoints essentially. Yeah, so in the in the reform camp, uh, the the way that we look at this is, you know, uh, God's work mm-hmm. uh, precedes any other work, yeah. and and I, I don't want to say that as arrogant or coming off uh, in any arrogant tone, because I have, you know, I don't have to tell you guys this. I mean, um, you know, I came, uh, I was ordained free will Baptist minister for ten years, mm-hmm. and I love my Armenian brothers. Um, and so I say this with great charity, right? Um, but at the same time, I have to be point blank with it. I mean, from a reform camp, we look at this as, you know, God is initiating yeah. in every aspect, and not only is He initiating, He's successful in His initiation. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not a gen- it's not a generic in- initiation. It no. is a specific. Initiation. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, whereas other people may believe this is a more generic. Yeah, that initiation. would be sort of Amen. the prevenient grace, right? Sort of. Right. Everybody uh, gets it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so we would we wouldn't 
we wouldn't hold to that. The three of us sitting here, right? Um, we we would probably line up most with the Augustinian view, um, which is essentially, you know, we kind of defined original sin last last episode that man is is totally um, w- without the grace of God has um, is is irredeemable beyond uh, what the action of God. Um, and so what I just wrote here is that God is the one who initiates. Um, man cannot choose God um, in their natural state. That God um, that God has to initiate, and it is ultimately uh, God's choice um, who receives that mercy, who receives that grace, and who doesn't. Um, and that I think is probably the one that really kind of uh, sits on people a little harder than than. Um, than anything else, and so, um, you know, that's that's the controversy, right? Does God choose, or do we choose? Mm-hmm. Right? That's the thing that everybody ultimately um, comes down to, right? It is, and you know, just to, I mean, just to be point blank with it, I mean, um, the human logical thought process mm-hmm. is fairness. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? <clears throat> and so in fairness, uh, on the surface, it would seem that <clears throat> um, God uh, would give everyone a chance. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things you're not going to hear from our pulpit, there's, there's, there's several things you're going to hear from our pulpit. One thing you're not going to hear is, uh, you know, God gives everyone a chance. And... It's not, and maybe does. I don't know. I mean, but here's where here's where we come from. We believe right now that they're in in Iran. All right, it's a it's a do not entry country. North Korea, do not entry country. Somalia. We believe that there are men just like us right now mm-hmm. who got little girls, little boys that we're responsible for. And if they don't hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will die and go to hell. Yeah. With never having a chance. Never having a chance. And so that's where we come from on this perspective. Yeah. Is, and that's why we're passionate about missions. Amen. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I'm not waiting. I'm not some fatalist that's waiting for God to redeem and I step back. Yeah. Right? I am, oh my goodness gracious, God has saved me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm the last that I would have saved. Because I know me better than anyone else, mm-hmm. and and I see uh, how I got saved. I can see it from you know in the common graces that I did not grow up in um, a third world country of totalitarianism that had no Bible allowance, and you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying, all that. <clears throat> and at the same time, I, even growing up in a free country, I didn't grow up in a home uh, where. My dad was beating my mom, and people were using drugs and all that kind of stuff. And people get saved and redeemed from that, just yeah. as they do in totalitarian countries, right? But I just look at my own life, and I look at Scripture. And <clears throat> so the means of grace that was passed on upon me, uh, God led me to salvation um, from this you know, undeserving, unmerited aspect that when I sit back and I evaluate, wait, 
not only the glories and goodness of God that I can't even comprehend, it just motivates me. Yeah. Right? And so I don't feel like every Sunday morning coming to church and preaching. Mm-hmm. I don't, most of the time I'm dead tired, exhausted, and done. Yeah. Um, but what motivates me is His Word. Mm. And, and what God does in the redemption and saving of people. Uh, to me, that's that that's the way I look at all of this. Yeah. You know, I don't see an unfairness with God. Um, I see an overwhelming graciousness of God, and that's not to say that those that don't agree with me on this subject don't see that either. Yeah. That's just the the view. I come, that's my logic that I bring to this. Right. You know, and I would say I, I would just add to that that. You know, you're you're exactly right in that the human logic or the human mind is all about fairness, right? But we don't really mean fairness in in the sense of what we really mean is is justice, right? Um, and is it a scary word? Yes, it's justice, right? Well, that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly right, right? So so. Um, Does God have to be fair? Let me, let me jump in and say this real quick because I, I think there's a lot of people who feel like that our view is unfair. Yeah. And yet at the same time, I would look at them and say, actually, I think our view is more fair because if we're talking about fairness, we all deserve the judgment. Mm, amen. So it's not, yeah, exactly. as, it's not as if we're getting something that's not due to us or doesn't belong to us. If we, if we get the grace of God, there's no des- there's no deserving there on our part. It's simply right. His grace. It's not that we received some fair treatment. Fairness or justice would have been that we got what was coming to us because all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Amen. There's nothing good in us that can bring any of that about. Yeah. So fair, just. Um, right. <laughs> and I would just I, you know I just I just want to uh, you know justice is. That we get what we deserve, right? Yes. And so, if you don't get justice, right, then the only alternative is, is injustice, right? And God is not unjust. Amen. Okay. Amen. So there's only there's only two categories. There's there's justice or not justice. But within the not justice camp, right, mm-hmm. there's two options. There's injustice, which is not of God. But then there's also mercy, right? Which is not justice, but it's a uh, a attribute of of God. Mm. And so when we say, when we bring up the question or throw up the question that, well, your view is unjust. Well, you guys are exactly right. Justice is that we would all be eternally damned um, for. Our sinfulness, and not just our sinfulness, but for the sinfulness of all humanity, of, of Adam. Um, and so, the only injustice, right, or the only not justice that we have is is mercy, um, not injustice. Mm. Injustice is is not justice. You're right, um, but there's also mercy in that. So that so mercy. I think you're you're exactly right, Edwin. Is uh, sort of breathtaking that yes. that God would even have another option other than what we would call fairness, because fairness is the, is the standard by which that we're going to judge whether or not 
God is good mm-hmm. or God is righteous, then we're in big trouble, right? Because if he has to be just in everything that he does um, and not uh, merciful, then we are in, we're in big trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, sorry, that was a bit of a rabbit trail. No, that was um, glorious. <laughs> but uh, I, I think it's, it, it's, it's the argument we hear most often. Right, mm-hmm. but that's not fair. We hear it from our children, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not fair. Well, if we, I hear it in my own voice. Oh yeah, I yeah. mean, I guys, I I know at times I probably come across to people as, um, you know, I I don't know what the term is, harsh, um, blunt, um, non non merciful on the subject. Mm. Um, that's not me. That's not me at all. I mean, I I have been I have been struggling with this since I was probably twelve years old. Mm-hmm. And when I say I'm struggling, it's not like you know I'm I don't know I'm not wavering. Mm-hmm. It's just that <clears throat> the Bible teaches us to test the scriptures. Yep. And so I, I constantly am diving into this because I don't want to believe what R.C. Sproul believed. I don't want to believe what uh, Charles Spurgeon believed. And I don't want to believe uh, what Martin Luther believed. I don't want to believe what uh, 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 Augustine believed. Um, I want to believe God's Word. Mm-hmm. And so I... I, I, I use all these different resources, but they are not shaping who I am. Mm. I love you two. Y'all know that. And, and I love to hear you teach. Y'all are great teachers and, and, and preachers. Um, you're, you're, you, will, you will make me think. You will not shape what I believe. Mm. Um, because I'm going to hold what God's Word says, ultimately. And so... I come, I come from a viewpoint of I cannot overcome how many times we see in Scripture not only the words of predestination, election, mm-hmm. but the actions of God of predestination, election. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, I don't consider myself an Old Testament scholar, but it was actually while I was a free will Baptist minister, preaching through the Old Testament every Sunday night for almost seven straight years. Seven straight years, every Sunday night, all I did was preach from the Old Testament. And the reason I did that was because I I, I didn't know the Old Testament. I knew it was a way for me to learn it. And that is really what led me to Reformed theology. Mm. It was not a Paul Washer YouTube video or John MacArthur sermon or an R.C. Sproul, Holiness of God, which I've told you guys, huge impact on my life. It was That was really what laid that yeah. uh, forefront out there. Another thing I, I'd like to say, um, I don't like, this is just me, so now I'm going to probably not sound like a reform guy. <laughs> I do not like the phrase, unconditional election. Yep. Um, and the reason I don't like that phrase is the same reason I don't like the phrase of conditional election. So when I was a free will Baptist minister, I remember... Um, this is when I was full-time in the ministry, and uh, just like we had at Lincoln Avenue, uh, we, we get 
a lot of mail. Yeah. And there was a book that came in. Of course, uh, people listening to us, they can't see this, but it was twice that thick, all right? And so four inches thick came in, and it was called Conditional Security. It was just a free book. You know, we get free books here. Edwin gets them all the time. I get them all the time. And it was a slow day you know, at the church, and this book came in, and I was like, Conditional Security. Conditional Security. <laughs> And I kept looking at it, and I'm like, I know what conditional security is. I just kept looking at this title, and I'm like, conditional security. Does it sound real secure to me? And I know we're not there, <laughs> all right? We're not at that point of the darkness right. of grace, right? And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, what, is, what, in this, what does this mean, you know? And I started diving into it, and a lot of the conditional security is based on conditional election. And... And I just was like, well, this is, I, I can't. I cannot go down this path. Unconditional election. The reason I don't like that phrase, guys, is because, um, so um, I, if, if I ask you two or I'm talking to you two, I'm, my expectation of you is that you've read your scripture this week and you're continuing to read scripture and you're praying, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we want that from our lay people. But my my expectation of lay people and you guys are going to be a little bit different. Um, when I think of our lay people is, I think when they hear unconditional election, um, I think that there is definitely, especially where we live at, there is an impression upon them that it means, well, God saved me even though I didn't want to be saved. Mm. I think sometimes comes across. Sort of violate the, the free will. Yeah. yeah. And... and and so that's the reason I don't like that phrase. To me, I like just the word election. Yep. I don't like conditional. I don't like unconditional. I like the word election, and I like to define it for how it is. Yeah. And if I'm getting ahead here, you stop me, okay? Go for it. All right, so within conditional election, the way whether, whether you like that term or don't like that term, conditional election is what most of our uh, community believes. I'd agree with that. Whether they're Southern Baptist, uh, Independent Baptist, um, Methodist, Free Will, yeah. Church of God. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely think Church of God is probably even right, more yeah, so yeah. in that semi-Pelagian uh, uh, group. Um, conditional election is basically a belief that um, God does predestine, because I can't deny what the Bible says, and God does elect, because I can't deny what the Bible says, but He does so on the the foreknowledge of my merit. Mm -hmm. So knowing that I would believe, He has now predestined and elected me. Mm -hmm. Okay? And I spent many, many years... In ministry, not 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 as not as a Christian, ministry on that side of the table, okay. Right. And so, with grace and charity to everyone that's on that side of the table, I understand where they're coming from. Right. Election, and what we would call unconditional election. You know, I like the phrase, just like I like un- uh, the conditional election, unconditional election or election. The way I look at it 
is that this we see this as that God in his foreknowledge and we could talk we could do a podcast just on foreknowledge yes. right God in his foreknowledge elected to save and to redeem that in a in a regards that had nothing to do with my merit mm-hmm. or whether I would or would not believe but rather we were chosen by God mm. all right and so that's the two different positions uh, that I see and you correct me if I'm wrong on this and so w- where I draw my convictions and my um, conclusion on the matter, if that's a such, if that's if that's a real thing, is that um, I do not see in the scripture where God foreknows, predestines, and elects uh, based on what I might do, but rather I see God in foreknowledge and predestination ordaining. Salvation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the same God that made Adam and Eve um, knew all things, and everything that would come from Adam and Eve, every moment and every, all of humanity that was going to come from that was ordained by God. And in all of the fallenness of the world, God in His mercy and in His grace redeemed some he could have damned us all yeah he could he, there was there in Genesis 3 there was two streets God could have just ended it mm-hmm. or he could made a promise and he made a promise yeah so let, let's talk about that ordain for a minute what that means because I think a lot of people would come back and say okay um, if if God ordained something, you know, maybe that's maybe they're thinking that's a fatalistic term, or they're thinking down some other road. So what are we what are we talking about when we mean ordained? Well, let, let me back up. So did he ordain sin, for instance? You know, um, well, so, no. Well, we know that God is not the author, author of sin. Author of sin, right? Um, can God um, use sin for His purposes? Absolutely. Yeah. And so in that, right, I mean, Spurgeon says, yeah, he's the devil, but he's the God's devil, right? (laughs) I mean, he is... Spurgeon can say that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, let me back up and say, that I would take it even one step further, Randy, and say that not only it, it's not as if God created the universe not knowing what was going to happen, right? In his foreknowledge, he knew before the foundations of the world um, what was going to happen. Amen. Not only did he create in spite of knowing what was going to happen, I would argue, and you guys. Test me on this, because I, I want to know if I'm if I'm off base. But I would say that he created he created because he knew Man. that it would happen that way, so that the Lamb who is <laughs> slain from all eternity, from the foundations, right, before the foundations mm-hmm. of the world, uh, might be 
uh, glorified, right? So that so that he can be glorified. He created um, so that everything that we know of as history could happen um, for the ultimate purpose of his glory. That that creation would would fall and be redeemed and be restored, and and that and that his creation would worship him. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just because um, they're robots, but because of <laughs> the history. Yeah. So it's so easy for us as human beings to think about us being puppets and robots. Yeah. And it, honestly, that is a testimony of our own nature and our narcissism. Mm-hmm. Everything that God has done is for His glory. Amen. He loves His glory. He's passionate about His glory. God did not create us so that He would have people that would be able to praise Him or worship Him. Yeah. God created us as a, um, uh, an attribute of His glory. God will... There's never going to be a moment in time in eternity, past or future, that God was more glorified. But God chose to demonstrate His glory to creatures. He didn't, he didn't need any of the creatures. He didn't need the angels, right? He yeah. didn't need, didn't need uh, Satan. He didn't need human beings. Uh, he was perfect without any of that. Yeah. Um, and so, but what he does is he, he invites a, 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 a company of billions, trillions. I don't know what the number is. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, do, I don't think any of us knows. He, in, he invites all of this level of creation to experience his glory. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have to, right? He didn't have to do any of that. That's the same way. This, that's to me is a big, uh, uh, that's a macro level of what election is. Yeah. He, we, and, and for those of us who are the elect of God, that's not a Calvinist view. That's not a Reformed view. That's what Paul says. Right? Biblical. <laughs> and so those of us who are the elect of God, we look at that and we're just like, oh my goodness, we get to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So, so let's move on to where. Where do you see, like if somebody came to you after this podcast and said, show me in Scripture where you see this um, ideology of, or this theology of, this doctrine of election, where is it in the Scriptures? Where do you go first? Well, it would probably, for me, depend on uh, the mindset at the yeah. time. The day. Yeah. Flavor of the <laughs> <Yeah>. day. <laughs> um, but so the fact that you gave us time to think about this, uh, here, here's, here's what I would say. Um, and I go back to, you know, my Armenian days. And I, <clears throat> Paul said he was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was the Armenian of the Armenian. Yeah. I was faithful to what I agreed to be ordained in. <clears throat> on the subject of election itself, um, and or unconditional election, however you want to phrase it, um, 
there is an Israel because there is God. Mm-hmm. And, and, and before there was Israel, there was Abraham. Yep. And so we see Genesis 12. And there was also, <laughs> you can go further back, you have Noah. Uh, and of course, there'd be a debate. He was a righteous man. But Abraham was a pagan, yep. living in a pagan land. And God made him a promise. And the promise that God made to Abraham will create almost the rest of the Old Testament. But the real promise that God made to Abraham gives us the New Testament. Yeah. So in covenant theology, we, we look at Abraham and we look at the Old Testament and we see the first covenant. But really, what Paul teaches us in the book of Romans is that God had promised to Abraham a better covenant. Yeah. And so, so God elected Abraham and his family yeah. and brought them out of the land. And then there's a division within their family. Mm-hmm. And then God in his mercy, right, yeah. goes back to the split to bring a few back out of that. Yeah. And then what would flow from that in, in history would be uh, I hate to use this term because we're not dogs and cats, but um, crossbreeding. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like a, 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 from a um, race and a cultural tribal level, you'd see all these different avenues that would go. Yeah. And but God's hands are still over it all. Yeah. Right. Yep. And then when you get all the way to the genealogy of Christ, you see all that coming back in. Yeah. And so. From where I would take people, if if I had the time to really talk about election, that's where I would start at. From a verse-by-verse, expositional, or doctrinal position, um, I go back to John 3, what I told you guys a few weeks ago. (laughs) You know, in John chapter 3, I mean, to to me, John chapter 3 is... It's it's everything on the redemption of God, right? Because we have this man Nicodemus, and I can't I, I I can't I hope to meet him one day. Yeah, I I think like I've struggled with a lot of subjects. I can't imagine the level of struggle that Nicodemus was going through. Oh yeah, I mean. So we can we can look at the Pharisees and we can make a lot of comments about them and and you know the scribes and all that. <clears throat> Nicodemus was really really struggling, and he was searching and seeking, and so he comes to our Lord, and you know he gets this message that he cannot contain whatsoever, and our Lord says to him, he says, you know. Um, It's as, as the wind blows. Yeah. Um, that is how God redeems. And I, I still don't, I don't know how to, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I still don't know how to even capture that. Um, and I can't imagine what it was like for him to hear that. But to me, in John chapter 3, uh, some would call it, you know, Maybe that's kind of getting headed to the irresistible right. grace. But God just, he, he, the Spirit is like the wind. 
it blows where it needs to blow or wants to blow, and it does what it wants to do. Yeah. And that's 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 redemption to me. So to me, that's where I would start with people. Ephesians one, yeah. Romans eight, Romans eleven, Romans eleven, Romans nine. <laughs> yeah, Romans, uh, Romans nine. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So somebody asked me this question not too long ago, and when you ask it today, my, my first, the first place my mind went to was John three. Um, Randy covered that. You know, then Ephesians one probably was the second place that my mind went to, and then Romans eleven. Um, but when when somebody asked me this the other day, they're like, where, where do you see that in Scripture? And I was like, there's nowhere I can look in Scripture that I don't see it. I mean, it's when when it's there, it's like every page that you open in Scripture, you see this over and over and over yeah. again, especially in the Old Testament. And, yeah. and it, it amazes me sometimes how many people who have a different view of election are the strongest to defend the nation of Israel. Yeah, that's that's so, <laughs> it's just kind of yeah, yeah. kind of blows my mind. It's like okay, which is obviously a chosen people, exactly. Right, that's how God <laughs> maneuvered through what, all of the old four thousand years. What is that? What general consensus is on yeah. how that's okay. That's but, okay. Yeah, but an elected people, a, a chosen people, is not okay in the New Testament. That that's very that seems very. Um, uh, What's the word? Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's like a. Paradox. It's a contradiction. Yeah. So, 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 and one thing, just to jump in here, don't don't mean to interrupt, but and Edwin can uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but one of the things that I think it was our third trip to Tanzania, this mm-hmm. kind of blew my mind, was we showed up. We showed up on a Sunday morning mm-hmm. uh, at uh, Masanga. And um, so we, we got up that morning, we were dressed for church and went out there and we walked, we walked in and there was this guy, we'd never seen this guy in our life, right? And he was uh, just absolutely teaching. And or well, it was actually their Sunday school, which you can't yeah. tell the difference. It was, right. it was <laughs> it'd, be like a, it'd be like a Sunday morning preaching here. And this guy was absolutely teaching and preaching. Um, the doctrines of grace, and then um, we get to meet the Nigerian family, yeah. and we would listen to them talk, and I was just, I was like, oh my goodness, they, they believe God chose them, and God elected them. Mm. Like it was not even an, it wasn't even like they had to apologize for it, right. And this is an area that is very Pentecostal, yeah. very charismatic. And so I've thought about that a lot. I've really thought about that a lot. I'm like, how did they come up with that? Yeah. Well, there's a couple ways. I mean, they could read their Bible, number one, right? Uh, or number two, they could have had some, um, some teacher or mentor, don't have to be American, to go and teach that. Yeah. Uh, I think that they came from that conclusion because of what the Bible tells them. In America, it's a little different. We are used to freedom. This is all I've ever known mm-hmm. is freedom. Yep. I mean, if someone listens to this, 
they even listen to this, they only got to do that because of their freedom. The only reason we're here talking right now is because of our freedom. And so we are so used to our choice, our decision, free, 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 that a subject like election is very difficult to take. And so um, I would just, in, I, I would encourage people to not think from a free mind perspective uh, because that free mind will get you know can get us all in trouble (laughs) you know but to simply just well here's what the scripture says and this is it's hard and it's okay to say i don't understand this yes there's some stuff that we have to say i don't understand yeah amen i mean because our human logic fails us we, we don't have the capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, and look, what's becoming abundantly clear to me at 49 minutes is that this is going to need a part two. <laughs> um, but I, I am, I am um, and you guys mentioned it, uh, John 3 is not the first place that I would go um, with someone. I think because of, I guess, the... Um, Interpretation that has to happen, right? I mean, there's a lot of 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 symbolism there that that has to take place, and so and so for me, I would go straight to Romans nine uh, because I think it's it's most clearly laid out there, um, and so I'm just going to uh, read it to you. Um, so verse um, verse uh, uh, start with verse ten. It says. Um, and not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And that is where a lot of people stop right but i i can't stop there because i think it's even more clear in the next couple of verses when it says what shall we say then is there injustice on god's part by no means for he says to moses i will have mercy on whom i have mercy and i will have compassion on whom i have compassion and this is the one that i think convinced me of everything that we've talked about this evening so then this verse 16 so then it depends not on human will or exertion but on God who has mercy that to me is as clear as day uh, makes unconditional election uh, so obvious to me and I'm sure that there there are those who would look at that completely differently but for me that's where my mind goes. It's I don't hard to say how, right? Huh? It's hard to say how, right? Yeah. It's really, it's really difficult for me to, to have any other, to even see any other interpretation of what that verse 16 means. Um, and so, and then you build on it. Then you build on the John 3. Um, then you build on the Romans 11. Then you mm-hmm. put Ephesians 1. Ephesians 2 
in there with that, and it becomes a biblical worldview. You know, it's the way that you view the world around you, mm. um, and it changes everything. It's interesting sometimes when when I'm teaching or um, and I'll, I'll go to a passage and I'll study that passage of scripture and I'll see this subject in it, and I'm like. You know, you're you're thinking. I know there's going to be people who disagree with what what my view of this will be. Of course, yeah. we still teach what we teach, and we teach what Scripture says. Um, but you're thinking, man, this is everywhere that I go to in Scripture. And I think it's because of those foundations, though, that you start to have this idea of the way things are throughout Scripture. Yeah, I was always think it's interesting too that we you know we talked about Israel being elect. And at the same time, we we're not talking about a people who were good in any yeah, sort of way. Says as much, right? um, we're talking about the people who would eventually crucify the Messiah. Amen. Um, they never they never did figure it out. They never did figure. He it. came into his own, and his own his received, own received him not. not. I mean, so yeah. it definitely wasn't by merit. By merit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That they got anything that they... Mm-hmm. It, it says so, right? right. And, and just so we're clear, there was a, a election of Israel in regards to their position with God on earth, but there's also an election in, in redemption. That's two different conversations. Yes. 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 But I think the, the, um, the theme is consistent, right? Yes. The theme is, yeah. Yeah. No question about it. And I was going to say too that the reason I, I think maybe the reason John three is so was so fresh in my mind is because when we hear the opposites of our argument, that's often where people want to go. <laughs> you're tr- you're, yeah, but, you're exactly right. Yeah. Of course, they just want to go to John three sixteen. Yeah, which right. is so glorious. Which is so glorious, <laughs> and it is so glorious. Um, Whosoever believes is not. Um, yeah, the limited does it, atomic, it does the limited say, atomic conversation is going to be a lot more complicated than this one. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but um, but you have to read the rest of that chapter before you get to verse sixteen, um, which is what Randy commented on. And so I, I think that may be why that John three sixteen comes into my mind yeah. at this point. Yeah, John, one of the I mean, first and and look, John three is right up there with um. With First Corinthians fifteen, with uh, you know Romans chapter eight, I mean those are like pillars of. Um, you just love I, them. You yeah, love them. I mean you just you hold so those things so close, mm-hmm. um, and I, I agree with you. I just I think there's some study that has to go on, or there's at least some explaining that has to go on to understand what more he's talking about, especially with election. I can see yeah. that. Yeah, you know the funny thing is when you just you just. Reading Romans 9 there, Heath, um, it reminded me of going through Romans 8, mm-hmm. and um, which I knew when Romans 8, when it was going to show up, I knew the battles that was going to happen. And I told our church a few times, because we probably are in Romans 8 two months, maybe three months, maybe, I don't know. And I was like, if you think this is tough, wait till you get to Romans 9. <laughs> you know? yeah. and, and to be honest, some didn't stay. Some never heard it. Yeah. And I, I think we have all felt that. Mm-hmm. You know, we have all felt that 
that's a hurt that mm-hmm. um, is sort of inexpressible for for pastors to know that people are are leaving the church, and it's not because of a personality, it's not because of a something, but it's because of a disagreement about what the scripture says. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think honestly. <clears throat> And, and I'm sure there's a lot of cultures that okay. have this issue, but I, I can only speak for our culture. I think we do a really bad job disagreeing. Oh, yeah. We do not disagree well. Mm-hmm. And so we want to be black and white on cer- certain subjects, and then certain subjects it's okay to be gray on it, mm. you know. Um and in our in, in our culture, and, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe my view is completely wrong. Uh, we have to be black and white on our politics, and we have to be black and white when it comes to church on preference. You're saying this is a cultural thing. Yeah, right. That, that's what it's I a, see. It's a it's a pressure from the culture to be black and white on politics to be black and white on preference yeah I, I think with the church you know I mean you have um, there's some people that are never going to walk into our church just simply because uh, the building's big yeah that's a reality mm-hmm. and and that's fine you know and then there's going to be some people that's going to come visit our church and they're going to leave after that first visit because um, you know we didn't sing from a hymn book and there's going to be some people that's going to leave because uh, they didn't like that there wasn't topical preaching. Yeah. Or they didn't like there wasn't an altar call at the end. Um, so we don't disagree well. As, as, in our culture, we don't disagree well. Then I would kind of narrow that scope. We don't disagree well as Christians. I mean, we just don't do a good job disagreeing. Yeah, um, and 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 don't get me wrong. I'm I'm a man of principle and word, <laughs> and I I believe in black and white when it comes to scripture. Um, but oftentimes we don't even get a chance to really talk about it yeah. and discuss it. And you know, I've been preaching for almost twenty years. I went home Sunday night, and I was. Disgusted. I was so disgusted. I was just like, you know, um, not with the church, with myself. Right. And I lost my composure. I lost my composure Sunday night on the subject of um, this ideal of a rapture before tribulation. Hmm. And I completely lost my composure on it. And I beat myself up all night on it. And this is what a lot of church members and church parishioners don't understand. We only get the snapshot of time to talk and to preach, and we labor over it. We absolutely labor over it. And I don't care. You can have five pages, six pages, 100 pages, 1,000 words, and 3,000 words. But when you're up there and you're doing it, you're not reading it. You're preaching it, yeah. And and you're doing the very best that you possibly can. And especially the way our format is, you know, we're gonna we're gonna go over the next verse next week. And if 
I may, I may go back to the last few verses. I may start there. And <clears throat> it's, it hurts. It hurts a lot for, for people to just draw a conclusion and say, well, I'm not in that camp mm. and walk away with at least not having the opportunity to say, hey, preacher, what did you, what do you mean here? And yeah. where are you coming from? And um, it's the reality of our role. It's the reality of our job. And um, let, me, let me add something to that. Um, having been here for a long time now, um, I don't remember how long, but and at other churches before this one, um, we know we know that there are times that people are called away. Yeah. And that's good. Um, it's, it's an extension of your ministry. You know, when, when Eric went back to Guatemala, mm-hmm. That was a calling away where he left Lincoln Avenue and left us brokenhearted. And yet at the same time, it was glorious what he was doing. And there are people that leave locally at times that are called to go minister in other places. And um, your brother um, and doing wonderful things in the, in the ministry and in other places. Um, but I would say this, though, generally, and I mean very generally, it is very rare to see somebody walk away from the church for a preferential purpose that ends up in a better place spiritually hmm. than they were to begin with. And um, I don't, and, and it breaks my heart because you know um, that not when a, people. Not a faithful church. Not I a think, faithful, right, yeah. Not in a more faithful position um, than they were before. Right. And so, you know, we're to caution for people before you leave for greener pastures or whatever that purpose may be, know um, that you're still going to face struggles and you're still going to face difficulties. And it's very rare to see people ending up in yeah. a more faith, faithful to a ministry than they were to the one that they left. Yeah. And so I think it's, you know, it's important if I disagree with Randy on something, and, and we've had disagreements um, on different things, I'm not re- willing to walk away from that just because it didn't go my way. Right. Or it wasn't what I thought. Um, I think it's better that we, we stay around and we labor generally with those things um, yeah. and seek to work them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can pray um, that God's will is done. You can pray that Randy's changed, or you can pray that you're changed, or all of those things. You know, um, but um, you know, I, I would I would encourage people um, to be faithful to God's word, um, not to go in it into it with presuppositions, thinking this is what I believe. Let me prove it by scripture. Go to the word and read it for what it is, yeah. and take away what it says, um, and you know, and. We're all more valuable. Yeah, and to, do that. and to add to that, I would also encourage people to pray for that pulpit. Oh yeah, that God's word is being preached in truth and in glory. And so, if you do come upon these things, these hard topics, um, that you don't agree with, um, 
pray. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, ask God. I mean, you know, whether whether you have kids or don't have kids or a spouse or whatever, and if you're a single person, it doesn't matter. Just pray that that pulpit is preaching God's word. Yeah. And I know, I know, like you guys do, I know a lot of pastors. And this subject, I know more pastors that are not on the same page with me on this subject of election that are with me, right? Mm-hmm. And But here's what I can tell you about them is that that's all they want. They want that pulpit to be sharing truth. And, and so I think learning to, um, to harvest God's Word together yeah, yeah. should be a prayerful mind for all of us. Yeah, and I think, you know, that we desire to have a deeper conversation with folks than, than can be had from a, you listen, I talk, <laughs> you know? Though I think that the power of the, the preaching of God's Word mm-hmm. is... Uh, exponential that that men and women are saved because uh, men preach the word of God um, but there is there is a level of of communication that has to happen in order for growth to happen I think and that's why we have Sunday school and that's why we have Wednesday nights and that's why we have you know small groups so that that conversation can be had. Telephones. Yeah. <laughs> Call us, you know? Yeah. Talk to us about it. We're not we're not infallible. Yeah. God's word is. Amen. I think what's well, so, cool, Randy. Back to what you were saying about those pastors though. Um, what's really cool is while most of those guys may not agree with you, or a lot of them, they're all in your camp. Amen. Because they're all faithful to God. Most of those men are very faithful to God's mm-hmm. word and they're they're happy to know that someone is at Lincoln Avenue Amen. holding up the lampstand, yep. you know, um, and putting that too. So we're going we're gonna to come back because we have three kind of, I guess, more what were we talking hard-hitting about <laughs> unconditional election, which you don't like apparently. Yeah. Um, no, so I got three more sort of uh, pragmatic questions, sort of the questions that people tend to ask when they find out somebody is yeah, we'll skip those. a Calvinist. <laughs> um, and so, so we'll get, we'll just do a quick, maybe half hour um, on the next episode and just kind of hit these three questions, um, which I think we've, we've done an okay job at answering. Um, but we'll hit those three questions and we'll just call it unconditional election part two. Um, and then we'll move on to the fun one, uh, which is limited atonement. That'll be, I guess the next one that we that we try to tackle. <laughs> um, all right, brother Edward, will you pray for us as we finish um, this evening? Yeah, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and um, for your word and for what it means to us and in our lives. And God, I just pray that in, in everything that is said and done here that we would um, do as well as we can to accurately proclaim your word um, to the best of our ability. And God, I pray that um, we not be looking. Um, 
to achieve our own agenda, but just achieve what your word says mm-hmm. and proclaim it for what it is. We love you, Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.